we go. There we go. There we go. We've been talking over the last few weeks about perspective and, and seeing how we look at things in life and how that can transform, quite frankly, who we are. And we talked the first week about perspective and missions and just really seeing that oftentimes when we say the word missions that people automatically default to an overseas encounter or going over uh, and taking food and, and clothing and things of that nature overseas. But the reality is, is we have needs right here in our own community. And we adopt, we apply the Acts 1-8 strategy that there's a spirit of God, the power, the Bible says, the dudamas, where we get the word dynamite, shall come upon you. And then we shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, which is our home base. That could be the four walls of your church. It could be your home. It could be your school or your job. But it is most definitely your community. That's the Upson County, Pike, Lamar, and so forth and so on. And then there's the, the Judea. That stretches out over the state. And then all of Samaria. That's the federal, the national uh, efforts that we make in, in missions. And then there's the abroad. And I, and I wanted us to kind of get our head around that because I think sometimes there's misnomers as we go out to minister to people. And I want us to grab on. Watch this. You may never go overseas. You may never be called to go to Jamaica or Africa or Haiti or whatever the case may be. But you always, always have an opportunity to minister right in your hometown everybody say amen because that's where God has called you that's where he's planted you that's where you are and that's a day-to-day encounter in fact I've said this many many times some of the greatest ministry that can happen in our life is is through our encounters in Walmart through our encounters in the hallway at school uh, young people I want to encourage you to go back to school to know that your eyes have to be open and the perspective has to be changed that there's a mission field right in our own community. Right here in Upson County, at best, 5,000 people are in church today. That's not okay because that means 25 plus thousand are not. That's a mission field. And it's, it's ripe under harvest at this moment. But the Bible says the laborers are few. I think God needs to see some more laborers out there. Amen. We need to stand up and be counted and realize that there are people that are dying and going to hell. I spoke at the men's conference this weekend as I was sharing with you down in South Georgia. And, and one of the things that I thought was really unique about the, this, this uh, theme was 24 hours. It was based on the movie or the program on TV, 24 hours. What if you just had 24 hours? What if you knew that your life was going to end 24 hours from right now, what would you do different? What would you not do? What would you say? How many people would you call and say, hey, I love you. I just want you to know I appreciate you. Hey, how many people would you turn to and say, you have changed my life? Or better yet, would you be a little cowardice in your efforts in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Here's what I believe to be true. I don't believe that you would. I believe that the intensity level of your faith would increase so dramatically because you would see the true brevity of your life. You would see that your life is frail. But let me say something to you this morning without apology and without any reservation. You're not even guaranteed 24 hours. You don't know that your life will end this moment. In fact, in the context of all eternity, the Bible says your life is at best nothing but a vapor. It's your one moment and go on the next. And where we brought that to an end uh, at the men's conference was how can we leave a legacy? How can we leave the world better than which way we found it? Amen. That's our hope, guys, that we didn't just pass through this life and then walk away and go, hey, man, that was a good ride. No, no, no. We, we hope that, that when we leave this world that we have invested in other lives, we have poured into other people. I'm just spitting all over the place, aren't I? Y'all see that? It's holy water. Just gathered up. That we could make differences in people's lives. And then last week we spoke about 
taking a different perspective on what's going on in the world around you. Because let me tell you something, guys. It's easy for us to say things like, when the world's going to hell in a handbasket, or the economy's flopping, and man, we got crazy folks in the government, we got this and that. Hey, you know what you've done? You have spoken death over your economy. You have spoken death over your, over your politics. And let me tell you something. The Bible says that there's life and death in the power of the tongue. So here's what I believe. We need to speak life. Amen. How many of you believe that? We need to speak life regardless of what's going on around us. Listen, you, you might feel like you're in the worst relationship, marriage, and you're like, first of all, you chose her. It's your fault. But secondly, speak life over that and find out what it is you can do as a husband. Maybe you're the problem. Speak life and watch God breathe healing into your home. I'm telling you guys, this thing can transform the way that we live. In fact, Paul and we're going to see this in just a moment uh, to his letter to the church at Philippi. In fact, if you have your Bibles, if you will, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read just a few short verses. But the Apostle Paul was the man that truly epitomized hatred for Christians in the early part of his life. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was a, a Pharisee above Pharisee. He, he killed people. He martyred people. In fact, at his encounter on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, he was going, Steve, to go and collect more Christians to bring them back to have them martyred as well. And he had, watch this, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And it changed his life. Let me give you a sidebar to that. When you see Jesus, for who he is, it will change your life. You can't not be changed having seen the glory of God. It will do something to you. It will, it will increase in intensity of your life just by seeing God for who he is. And Paul did that. And Paul said these words to the church at Rome, which he never went to before until he was in prison later in life in the doxology of his life. You know what he said? I beseech you, I urge you, brethren, Therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, say what? Say it with me. A living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable unto God. Watch it. Then this is the big crescendo of the whole thing. He says that you not be conformed to this world. See, the world says that this is how we have to be. The world says this is what it ought to look like. You can, you can ride down to Macon, coming in on Eisenhower Parkway, and there's this massive billboard. There's no telling what that thing costs per month. There's a big billboard up there. You can get divorced now for $725. That's a good deal. But see, that's what the world says. You know what God says? God says, dig your heels in and stick in there and push on through and make it count. Make it work. I know some of you are like, you ain't married to her. You don't know. But let me tell you something. It's all in perspective. And that's why Paul said, don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't allow your mind to wrap around the world's economy and say that this is the way that it's supposed to go. God help me. If this is the best we got, man, we're in a mess, aren't we? There was a, there was a guy who wrote a book said, your best life now. I'm like, oh, praise God, I hope that's not true. I'm looking for something greater down the way, man. I have an anticipation. There's an expectancy for me down the way of something greater. But watch this. As I'm going to that point, I want to bring as many people along as I possibly can. And here's the big thing. I want them to see Jesus in me. And I hope that that's your prayer today. Be not conformed to this world, he said, but be you what? Transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. You know what he's saying? Start to think differently. When you start to think differently, you will act differently. I, I'd be so bold to say it this way. Right thinking produces right living. So what's the problem, Mark? Why can't we just think differently? Here's why. It's because of the way we see the world. See, we see the world based on our own perspective. Today, for example, some of you are going, man, I really like that shirt Mark's got on. 
Some of you, on the other hand, are going, man, that, that shirt really looks like a girl shirt. In either case, it really doesn't matter. I like the shirt. But see, your perspective of how you see it is your reality. And it controls what you think. It controls what you are. So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to think about, and I hate to use that word, it becomes somewhat cliche. I want us to meditate on, I want us to look at possibly trying to see things differently. Let me, let me give you an example. If you look at ordinary items with your naked eye, you see one thing. But if you take a microscope, for example, and look at it, you see things completely different. I think we've got a couple of pictures I want to show you. <clears throat> That's your cue, bro. Right, hey, bring the uh, stage lights down for just a moment. I want you guys to see this. This looks like some huge cathedral that a king or a queen would have. This is nothing more. Anybody know what this is? Want to shout it out to me? A shower head? Very close. It's the inside of a banana. Under a microscope. Let's look at the next one. Anybody know what this is? Maybe looking through the Hubble telescope or something like that. No, no, no. This is a blueberry under a microscope. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Had no idea it had all those holes in it. Now you better wash your blueberries. You know they got funk in them little holes. You know that. All right, let's look at the next one. This is your dog with plaque. You know it, right? No, it's the inside of a chili pepper. Isn't that cool? Man, that's awesome. Now I know what burns me when I eat it. It's those little seeds. Let's go to the next one. Oh, this is awesome. Anybody know what that is? Anybody say it? It's an eyelash. Isn't that gross? It looks like the rainforest jungle. You're plucking up some kind of goober with your, look at that stuff. It's growing in. That's your eyelash. I guess it's green. Some lady's got some kind of stuff on it. All right, let's go to the next one. Anybody know what that is? <laughs> Guy in the back going, yeah, man, that's a blunt. No, it's not a cigarette. It's a lead pencil. Isn't that cool? That's the graphite of a pencil. What about the next one? Anybody? <laughs> a washer hag, is that what you said? That's, a, that's actually a salt crystal. Isn't that cool? I right, got a couple more. Let's look at the next one. You might know what that is? You love it. I'll give you a hint. You love it. <laughs> Guy's going, my wife? No, it's sugar. Oh, this one's awesome. Any, any, any medical folks out there? Nurses, doctors? You know what that is? That is sutures in a cut. I didn't know we had all those little hairs like right there on our skin. That is funky, isn't it? All right, go to the next one. Y'all going to love this. Anybody know what this is? It's Velcro. That's how that stuff works. It's got little hooks. It grabs onto it. Isn't that cool? Kind of like your kids. Grab onto your wallet. Much like that. All right, go to the next one. This is the last one. This is awesome. And see, here's the thing before we, before we take this one down. You know... Perspective is how you look through things based upon your frame of reference. If you look at something with the naked eye, you see one thing. But if you look at it under a microscope, under a different frame of reference, you see something completely different. This is a piece of dental floss having gone through your teeth. I know. Isn't that gross? Anyway, that's spiritual. Y'all bring the lights up. Isn't that cool? Some little kids are going to go home today. Church was great. We talked about dental floss. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to uh, Philippians chapter 2 real quickly. Here, here's, the big, here's the big deal, guys. The big key idea today is I think we need a mind shift. I think we need to have a different frame of reference upon which we look at things. Because if we're looking at them with our natural eyes, we see only, watch this, we see only what our flesh can see. 
You see, that's important because even if you look in 2 Kings, I think it's chapter 4, where Elijah goes down into Dothan and the Syrian uh, uh, army is trying to come in and kill him. Remember, and the, and the servant goes out and he looks up and he says, he comes running back in. Elijah says, what's wrong? He said, there's a host of enemies coming against me. And he looks up and they're just, they're gathered around and, and they're in army attire and they're ready to overthrow and attack them. And, and you know what he says? Elijah says, Lord, let him see with spiritual eyes. Open his spiritual eyes. Watch what he's saying. Give him a different frame of reference. And he says, now go back outside. He says, go back outside this time. He sees a, a, a legion of angels uh, adorned and also swords and shields drawn and, and, and chariots of fire. And he comes back in and he said, you see, those that be for us are greater than those that be against us. It's just a matter of reference, a matter of perspective. And so here's what I suppose to you today. That we need to put on the eyes of Christ, the mind of Christ, and it will change the way we see the world, which changes the way we believe, which changes the way that we act. Let's look real quick. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Is there any encouragement or consolation from belonging to Christ? It's a question Paul's asking the church of Philippi. Is there any comfort in his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly. That word literally means to be single-minded. Watch what it's saying. He's saying think in one direction only. And he's getting there in the following verses. And and, and James said it this way. A man who is double-minded, who has a double allegiance, he is unstable in what? Say it with me. In all of his ways. So we have to be single-minded. We have to be wholehearted. Say, no, that doesn't sound right, Mark. We need to be a little bit more receptive to other people's frames of reference. No, no, no. As a child of the Most High God, there's but one way. We're to be single-minded, wholehearted. Every effort we have is placed into Jesus. Everything else is abandoned. There's no other way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's no other way. There's no other uh, antics. There's no other methods. It's all about him. He's saying, be single-minded, be wholehearted. And watch this. With each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Translation, the King James says, in one mind and one accord. To be in a heartbeat together. What would happen? What would happen if we could get our minds in agreement as to what we were going to do inside this building? What would happen if this building could agree with that building? And that one could. Here's what we do. We're we're also thinking self-indulgence minded. That we are all thinking everybody has their own agenda, own plan, own thought of how something should play out. But if we got wholehearted, single-minded. Watch what he says. Loving one another. And working together with one mind and one accord. Watch what he says. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others better than yourself. Don't look only for what your own interests are. But also take the other's interest as well. And then verse 5. You need to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. King James Bible says it this way. Let this mind be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus. Then it goes on to talk about him humbling himself even to the point of the cross. What was Jesus' mindset? Love people that are unlovable. Do the will of the Father. Somebody strikes this cheek, you turn the other cheek. Somebody takes your shirt, you give them your pants. And so forth and so on. It was a new message. It was a new, it was a new perspective. So I want to give you real quickly, and I'm going to go quick today, two things real fast. That if we put on the mind of Christ, how it could change the world in our life, which would ultimately change people around us. A proper perspective turns our problems into possibilities. Say that again. A proper perspective can turn our problems. How many of you got problems? Wave your hand at me like you just don't care. You know you do. We all do. But how can we take the problems 
and, and come over here and say, wait a minute, if God is sovereign, and Psalm 139 says, if I sit down, he's there. If I stand up, he's there. If I go here, he's there. If I go into the grave, he's there. If I speak a word, he knows it right well. Everything about God says he knows, he's in control, he's sovereign over the affairs of his people. He is the creator, he is the sustainer, he's holding it all neatly together. And if all things work together for good for those who love him according to his purpose, then we have to believe that it's all by him, for him, and all about him. And if that's true, then I have to realize that even the problems in my life have great possibilities if I will merely change my perspective. Two shoe salesmen went to Africa. One emailed back and he said, send me home. Everybody here is barefoot. The other guy says, send me a lot of shoes. Everybody here is barefoot. You see, what one man sees as a problem, another sees as opportunity. You see, I told you this last week about speaking life. When I look, uh, Colonel, when I look at what's going on in the world around us, it's easy for me to sit back and go, man, we, we're dying. Man, we're, we're, we're just going, it's going crazy. I mean, look at what Hillary's doing. Look at what this person's doing. Look at what that guy's doing. We got 17 stinking candidates for Republican nomination. I don't even know what's going on with all that. But, but here's the cool thing about it. I can either look at it and be a naysayer and be a mealy-mouther and speak negativity, or I can back up and go, God, thank you. You have offered me a platform to be a light to shine in a dark place. You see, the problem can be a possibility. What about those insurmountable obstacles? I don't have to ask you to raise your hand. There are men and women, boys and girls in this room that are facing obstacles that seem insurmountable. There are some of you in this room that are literally have come face to face with something that's bigger than life. And here's what you've done. You've seen that obstacle as something that you can't go over. You can't go through. Can I tell you something? What if you don't have to? What if you just change your perspective and God says walk around it? Say, Mark, that's so silly. That's elementary. Oh, no, no, no. For 40 stinking years, the children of Israel walked around the same mountain thinking it was the obstacle. Do you know what the obstacle was, church? Do you know what the obstacle was to the children of Israel? It was their mouth. They were murmuring. Well, God, I mean, you know, thanks a lot, Moses. We could have just stay back in Egypt and, and made bricks and we would have had food. Okay, here's quail. Great. Well, man, now we're a little, th- a little parched now because, you know, we ate the quail. Well, here's you some water. Strikes the rock. Water comes out. Well, you know what? Now we, look, we really want some bread to sop that up. You know, here's some manna from heaven and so forth and so on. And they walk around. Their shoes never run out. Their clothes are never have to be changed. God sustains them, and yet they continue to walk around. I tell you what, I just don't know what it's like being a child of God. I don't want to do that. And they murmur and walk around what was never an obstacle they could have got there in 21 days it took them 40 years the problem seemed insurmountable when it never was in the way Tim you see here's the thing God can take your impossibilities and lay a framework for the miraculous and the supernatural to enter into your life think about that for just a moment God does not sit in, in, in his throne in heaven and go, let me see what I can do to Rob and Tammy today. Let me just, just kind of, because I'm God's like, just kind of stir it up a little bit. Hey, I think a little, little, little tornado over here in Oklahoma. A little tsunami. I don't know why I did that. That was kind of weird. Wasn't it? But see, God doesn't do that. 
God is, watch what he's doing, guys. Listen, he wants your praise. He wants your worship. He wants your adoration. He wants you to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He wants you to get your eyes off the problem and see the possibilities. The greatest detriment of my life occurred in 1999. I'll spare you the details because it doesn't matter. But watch this. You've been there too. But it was in my greatest detriment that I got on my face before a holy God. And I said, God, use me. If this book is real, God, let it get in me. Let me get in it. Let it transform me. And it began to change my life. And ultimately, God called me out. I left the military, started preaching the gospel. We started a ministry. I'm here today. Praise God. And here's the reality. It never would have happened had it not been a problem. Problems present possibilities. But it's all how you look at it. What about those hurtful situations? How many mamas in the house? Anybody ever hurt your kid? Some of y'all just clenched up. She did hurt my kid. What if somebody hurting your kid was about you teaching your daughter or your son how to pray in the difficult of life? Because here's what I know to be true. I'm going to say this out loud. This is not going to sit well with some of you. If your life is simple and easy and everything's just tracking along, there's a really good chance. Can I say it to you? You're probably not where you need to be in Christ. Because that book tells me contrary to that. Now, here's, here's, however, the great news. Is that when I am in Christ... That my life may seem chaotic and crazy at every corner, but he's given me an ability to walk above it. You see, he doesn't just allow us to go out in a boat and say it's going to be smooth sailing. Oh, no, no, no. In fact, he sends the storm. Why? So that he can step out on the edge of the boat and say, peace be still. You see, he doesn't, he doesn't say to, to Daniel, you know, that you're not going to go in the lion's den. You're not going to do this. There's going to be a hedge of protection around you, and you're never going to have difficulty. Oh, no, 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 contrary. He says, you're going in the lion's den because you've been doing what you've been doing, and I'm going to show you something even bigger. So he goes in the lion's den, and he just kind of curls up next to the lion. In fact, if you read it Scripture, it says that there was a den of lions. Oh, oh, Martin, that's not possible. You're exactly right. It's called an insurmountable problem in my life, but it's a possibility in the supernatural. It's the band makes it way back up. And I'm not done. I'm just, I want to get that out before I forget to call them back up. Ephesians 4 and 32 says this. Be kind you one to another. Tenderhearted. I'm going to say this word. It's going to be a curse word to some of you. So forgive me before I say it, okay? Forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. What if, what if God allowed you to go through the most difficult time in your life to even be hurt? Because hear me, church, if he will bruise his own son and it pleases him to do so, make no mistake about it, he will allow you to go through incredible difficulty if he knows that what you're really made of can bring him honor. How many times do we fail at that? Let me tell you what I mean by that. Somebody hurts you. Somebody speaks against you. Here's what you do. You can go back and say it against them. You have the right to do that. You can start some really, really terrible rumor. Hey, you can go on Facebook. Man, it's a great platform for you to destroy somebody's character. That's awesome. It's real godly too. 
And you could do all of those things. Or you can forgive them. And why is that true? Why would we do that? Why would we forgive someone who has not even asked for forgiveness? In fact, what, what, if, what if they don't apologize? What if they never try to make it right? What if they've hurt you? Hey, what if they've already died and gone on and they bruised you and hurt you in ways that you can't even talk about in public? Let me tell you why. Is you take that hurt, you take that problem, you take that condemnation, and you watch what you do. You lift it off of your life and you lay it at the feet of Jesus. You see, it really comes down to this. Can you turn your worry into worship? Can you turn your problem into possibilities? 1 Timothy 1, 7, I love this verse. It says, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power. Everybody say power. Thank you, David. You said power. Thank you. Give me a high five. That was awesome. You're the only one in the entire building. All right. Everybody say power. I'm going to try it one more time. Don't make me call you up here. Say power. power. Say love. love. Say sound mind. mind. God has not given you the spirit of fear that births worry, that pulls you away from worship. That that's what you were created to do. You were created to worship God. Oh no no no, Mark! I was I was I was created to be. Stephanie's husband or Tyler and Ashley's dad or a pastor at Northridge Church. Oh, no, 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 no. No, you weren't. No, I was created to be a child of the Most High God. To give Him the honor that He's worthy of. To worship Him in spirit and in truth. The, the byproducts of Him creating me for such a time as this. That in 1986, I would meet the love of my life. And we would get married. And we would have two beautiful children. They would get married. I'd have a wonderful grandchild. All these things. And one day, I would go through a detriment in my life. He would raise me up. Be the lifter of my head. He would pull me out of the miry pit. And out of the, out of the horrible clay. He would set my feet upon a rock. And put a new song in my heart. And He would establish my goings. And He would call me to be the pastor of this church. But no, no. He didn't create me to be this. He created me to be a worshiper and see when I worship him watch this watch this worry is nothing more than the thing that you place the most value in what you worry about the most is what you value the most but watch this comma what you worry about the most is the area that you trust God the least how can you turn your worry into worship it's a matter of perspective Some of you are more concerned about your finances right now in your life than anything else. And it's become your God. The money or lack of it has become your God. And you hear me say this, Malachi 3.10, that if you would just, if you would tithe one-tenth, that God would pour out a blessing upon you that you wouldn't be able to contain it. And you're like going, dude, you don't know my financial trouble. Can I tell you something? I don't have to. It's a promise from God. It is absolutely as real as the law of gravity. If I drop this, it's going to hit the ground. We could all join hands and sing Kumbaya and how great is our God and pray that it don't hit the ground. But it's going to hit the ground because it's a law. God's promises are yes and amen in Him. You got financial trouble? I won't say it. Give it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Do it His way. It'll blow your mind, won't it, baby? It'll blow your mind. Some of you are worried about your job. Some of you hate and detest your job. 
You hate going in there on Monday morning. What if God has taken the problem of your job and wants you to be a light in a dark place? And what if you walked into the job? Hey, well, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, Mark, you don't understand, man. I, I, I deliver beer for a living. This was at our other church. He said, I, I deliver beer for a living. I, how can I be a Christian to do that? I'm going to tell you how. You go in there and you do what you do and you be a light to shine in a dark place. That's how you do it. And you pray about the other between you and the Lord. That's your job. You pray, God, show me what you want. If God wants to open another door for you, he'll open another door. How many believe that? But just maybe, and I know this will be taken out of context. I'll probably get a couple letters on this. But let me tell you something. Here's what I know to be true. Sometimes God just places you in a dark place so that you can be a light. Instead of trying to get a new job and instead of trying to fix everything at this job, why don't you just go in there and say, you know what? I'm praying for you today. And if you shine a light where God has placed you, here's what I believe. He'll open a door for you. How? Because you're just going to give it to the Lord. You're going to turn your worry into worship. Some of you are more concerned about what's going on with ISIS than you are about what's going on in the house of God. Hey, I get that we ought to be concerned about this. But if I read Matthew's gospel, you know what he says? In the end times, there'll be wars, there'll be rumors of wars, and they'll come in all kinds of places. Guys, let me tell you something. You can pray for peace all day long, but really all you're praying for is the Prince of Peace. There won't be peace until Jesus comes back. We're at war. And it's not going to stop. It's going to intensify. There's going to come a point in time, you can rest assured of this, that somebody will stand at these back doors and maybe in our new building and they'll, they'll say, well, I need, to see, I need to see your outline before you preach the message. Hey, guys, that's cool. You can see my outline right here. But guess what? I don't care what you're going to say. I'm going to preach Jesus. You put me in prison, I'll start a prison ministry. It don't matter to me. I'm not worried about war. I'm not worried about war because here's the reality. I know it's coming. I know it's going to intensify. But this right here turns to worry. Worry consumes your spirit and you have no worship. Give it to God. Some of you bless your hearts. You got ulcers in your stomach. You're worried about this or that. Please don't take this the wrong way. I, I know. I know it's tough when you have health problems. I get it. I've had them. In 1995, my wife and I went to a doctor at Fort Benning. I was in the military, and my stomach was just constantly turning over. I lost down to 148 pounds. I couldn't eat. I thought I was dying. I didn't know what was going on. I was a young man, and I was just like, God, I don't know what to do. And they, she begins to pray. Her mom begins to pray. My family, everybody's praying. I go in there, and he says, you got Crohn's disease. You got ulcerative colitis all through your colon. Took pictures of it. He said, come out in 30 days, and we're going to see how much of your colon we're going to have to take out. You might need a colostomy bag. And I'm like going, my life is over. And I got out on my face. I'd never done this before in my life. And I got on my face out there in the backyard. It started to rain. I was in LaGrange, Georgia. And I laid down. I said, God, I pray you're the great healer. You're the great physician. I pray you'd heal me. 30 days later, I went back, and I laid on that table. And and, and, and they did things that I ought not ever do, but they did a colonoscopy and I remember the nurses in there going what's this guy in here for and, and, and the doctor Fry he said well Dr. Henderson sent him in because he said we're going to have to take out some of his colon and I remember little excerpts of this he said go get Dr. Fry and come down here this kid has nothing there's nothing in his colon at all <laughs> hey Mark I don't know if I believe in healings well bless your heart here's what you need to do you just need to give it to God some of you worried about your family some of you worried about your children. And guys, I get it. 
I get it. I'm wor- I worry about my children. I worry about my grandson and the life he's going to have to live with what's going on in this world. Tyler said the other day, and, and, and I pray this hits you right. He said, you know, sometimes I feel like, why did I bring another child into the world? Look at what's going on in the world. And I get his heart behind it. And I worry about our family, worry about our kids going back to school, and it breaks my heart. And you do too, but you've let it consume you, and it's become an imbalance to your life. When all you need to do is just say, like we did when they were born. You know, when they're born, we just say, God, it's your child. I consecrate them back over to you. I lay it down. I'm worried about my marriage. Can I tell you something, husbands? You want to fix your marriage? One verse. One verse only. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You love her that way. She will submit under your protective authority. And she will follow you and walk with you. And you will be blessed. It's all on you. It's always been on you. Oh, Mark, you don't understand. She does this. No, no, no. Jesus loved you when you were unlovable. Love her the way Christ loved the church. Turn your worry into worship. Give your family to the Lord, mamas and daddies. And here's where we are. Some of you don't know. You don't. If you die today, you don't know where you spend eternity. And you live a hope-so gospel. I ask people all the time, Steve, I say, you, you know you're going to heaven when you die. Man, I sure hope so. I'm a pretty good guy. Pretty good guys bust hell wide open. We live in a Bible belt, Brandon, and people look at us and think, man, I'm a good guy. Surely God ain't going to send me to hell. You're exactly right. God will send you nowhere, but he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this earth to redeem you, to buy you back off the slave market, to remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. And some of you are worried about eternity when all you need to do is just give it to God and come down here and say, Lord Jesus, here I am, save me. And you turn your worry into worship. But here's what we do. We give it to God. We give it to Him every Sunday. And then we pull it back out. When we go home, the enemy says, surely you're not saved. Well, I'm just going to worry about it again. Well, guess what? I gave my family to the Lord. But tonight I'm taking them back and I'm worrying again. And so forth and so on. Hey, you know what? I gave it to the Lord. And He healed me. But now i got stomach problems again. Surely it wasn't really healed. It was a false alarm. God didn't heal me. And then they worry about their... They worry about their, the wars and things going on. They watch the news instead of getting down and just saying, God, you're just laying the foundation for you to send the Prince of Peace back. Worry about it. We take it back. Give it to God and forget about it. Forget about it. Mark, when are we going to build our building? I don't know because I put it in the box. You know what I believe, Tim? When we get our heart right and we bombard heaven... He could build that thing next month and we not owe a penny. That's what I believe because I put it in the box. Mark, when is God going to heal my marriage? I don't know, but I'll tell you what. He healed mine and he gave me a best friend. And we've been married going on 26 years. There's nothing in the world I wouldn't do for her. I love her the best I can the way Christ loved the church because I put it in the box. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If there's an application for this sermon today, it's simply this. Give it to the Lord. You don't have to wait for me to invite you to come down here. Come now. Give it to the Lord. Matter of fact, if it'll help you, I'll put this little box on the on the floor. You write it down. Come drop it in the box. You come down here and just symbolically lay it in the box. Whatever you need to do, man. Just make it connect and change your perspective. The box got you. Take out a pen and write down the thing you're worrying about, which is consuming you, which is robbing you of your worship. Come down here, fold it up, put it in the box, and go away.
empty-handed knowing that you have given it to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the only one who can take it from you and can heal it. There is no insurmountable obstacle. There's only a block between your perspective of who you are and who He is. There are people coming all over the room, but listen to me. Head bows and eyes closed. Do you know that you know that you know that if you die today, you have heaven for a home. Jesus is your Savior. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. If you know it today, I want you to lift your hands up right now. Lift it up high. Lift it up high. Some hands are not going up. I understand. What are you waiting on? Oh, Mark, I'll do it next week. No, you won't. He says today is the day of salvation. This is a right now faith moment. If you want to know Jesus is the Lord of your life, Savior, to sep- grab onto the finished work of the cross, would you pray with me right here and right now to God? Father in heaven, I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus, will you forgive me for all of my sin? Save me. Redeem me. And be the Lord of my life. Help me to live for you till the day that I die. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed and every eye closed, without any debate, without any thought, without any argument in yourself, if you prayed and asked Jesus into your heart, right here, right now, lift your hand, right now. Just lift it up high. Lift it up. God bless you and you and you. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? Looking around. I see the little ones. God bless you. Come as a child, he says. God bless you, children who are saying that. Mom and daddy, just know that what they did was real. Here's what I want to do. I want to ask Ben, I want to ask Stephanie, I want to ask Chad, a few others over here. Y'all stand over here, a few others on this side. Here's what I want you to do. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Jesus was not ashamed of you. He walked at the Pete of Passover all the way down that street. The Della Rosa went all the way up that hill on the skull and he hung on a cross, naked and shamed, beaten and bruised for your glory, for you to be saved. I wonder if you raised your hand and you asked Jesus in your heart, would you right now without hesitation? You're not joining anything. I'm not asking you to say anything. But if you'd like for somebody to just pray with you, that's all. That's all. I want you to take one step today. Come down here and let her pray with you right now. Just come right now. Don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. Just come right now. Just come right now. If you prayed and asked Jesus in your heart, young person, tell mom and dad, say, hey, I did that. Go with me. For the rest of you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand down front. The doors of our church are open. There's a box right here. You don't really have to put anything in the box. But here's what I'd love for you to do. If God spoke to your heart today about something that you're worrying about, that you're holding on to, I want you today to come simply shake my hand, trying to walk away. And all you're saying by doing that is today, Lord, I give it to you. Mark, why have I got to take a step? Why have I got to come down there? You don't have to. But here's what I know to be true. The enemy is divisive and he's decisive and he's an accuser. And you might give it to the Lord there and you walk out and he's going to say, it didn't really take. You didn't really do anything. Well, doggone it, do something. So you can tell him he's a liar. Let him tuck, tell, and run. I'm going to stand right here. Come shake my hand. Don't think about it. The church is open. If you have asked Jesus in your heart and you see other people coming, come pray with one of these guys.